Today, Jesus gives us some practical farming advice. Don't look backwards while plowing a field. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, comment, follow us on YouTube. I don't know social medias, but do those things. The medias. The medias. All the medias, wherever you find this great, insightful, encouraging podcast, Mm. Mm. give us some credit, and give Jesus credit. That's right. Praise the Lord. Yep. Man, and what what good farming advice that is. Yeah, it never is. plowed a field, but I would think you'd want to keep... Have I ever, I've never plowed a field either. Really? I'm surprised. Yeah. I I've, like uh, something you would have done. I've used a rototill. Does that, does that count? Sure. Yeah, I've done why that. Not? Okay, I've plowed a field. count then. that. Yeah. yeah. yeah and um, I could see why it's you don't want to look backwards because, I mean, who knows what the, you're going to plow if you're not looking yeah, ahead and what's coming. Yeah, can get in there and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, well, so we'll, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke today, and we're going to see a big theme today on the cost of discipleship. Mm. So Jesus is using all these different metaphors to essentially say, if you're following me, you're gonna, it's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In some sense, right? Obviously, it's great. It's glorious in yeah. so many senses. But you're playing the long game. You're playing yeah, the long game. Yeah, you're giving up a ton to follow Jesus. No. So good reminder. Good reminder in an age where so many Christian, so-called Christian uh, preachers and leaders are saying the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right? Following Jesus will make you happy, fulfilled, wealthy. You'll have a new Lamborghini, whatever, you know, whatever stuff. But I think, I think that there's the health and wealth stuff, but then there's also just the more subtle, like sort of psychological health and wealth. Mm. If you follow Jesus, all of your inner problems will be taken care of. Right. And um, again, there's a sense in which that's true because your deepest problem is your sin, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're going to have um, an easy life. Right. So, so yeah, we, I think in a lot of ways we can fall into that trap. Yeah, it's internally, it's externally. Yeah, we have to deal with all sorts of stuff. And though Jesus answers the, the ultimate question of salvation and peace and joy, um, it's still rough in this life. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we're, we're in the section. Um, we're just getting to the section where Jesus begins his journey toward Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So the first part, we saw Jesus' Galilean ministry. And this is a big theme in the other Gospels as well, or Matthew and Mark. And uh, we see Jesus ministering in Galilee, and now he's going to start to head toward Jerusalem, mm-hmm. make this journey toward Jerusalem. So that's kind of the section that we're in today. So let's let's just jump right in. Awesome. So turn the turning point. Well, I should say the kind of the the key moment in the book, as we saw with all the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is the confession of Peter. Peter, big yeah. P. But, so we see the same confession. It's very very brief. In this in this gospel, yeah. What's up with that? With a, um, a, a writer uh, and a man concerned with so much detail, why is it so brief? I don't know. Yeah, just decided to go elsewhere, huh? Yeah, who knows? That's a great question. Yeah. But he he just kind of briefly mentions this, and this sort of this is going to start to begin his turn toward Jerusalem. So the actual turn to Jerusalem is in nine fifty one. Um, that's where he starts to say, set his face to Jerusalem. Uh, but we'll we'll get there in a second. Um, but we see right before that we see this theme come up of the cost of discipleship, which mm-hmm. is a big theme in Mark as well. Yeah. But definitely a theme in these chapters of the high cost of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So here he says in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Hmm. What does it mean to take up your cross? Is that like, you know, uh, this is my cross to bear? Like I have to... 
I don't know, be friends with Caleb. Like that's just my my cross to bear. Yeah, Caleb is our producer for the yeah. show. Caleb's right here. Yeah, you can't see him. Yeah. Um, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, is it, well, it's I don't know, but I mean, I'm also curious what he is meaning. But when he talk when he's talking to his people about this, yeah, it's kind of interesting that he would use the word cross. You know. Yeah. Um, so he's I mean he's talking about instrument of torture and death. Yeah, it's a very it's a very strange thing and like. Not really introduced yet in his ministry, I guess. Yeah, but but yeah. and he obviously he understands what his his mission will be. But it's a call to lay down your life for Jesus, right? I mean, this is every single day you are dying to yourself and living mm-hmm. for for God, right? And so it's a good reminder of following Jesus again will cost you everything. Mm. Theme theme alert. But he says, verse twenty four: Forever, whoever would lose, sorry, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Mm. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So he, he's really challenging them here with, you have to give up your life, lose your life. Verse 24 sort of clarifies what he means by taking up your cross, but laying down your life for Jesus. Yeah. This is someone who's speaking in the sense of his own divinity, right? To, to call someone in that way, to follow him, to lay down his entire life for him. Right. I mean, Jesus is very self-conscious that he is God. Right. That's that's worship. Yeah. Right. That's I mean, the definition of worship. I love how too, like it's you know, obviously like, you know, Luke is narrowing in on, you know, Jesus being the Messiah, doing a holistic like satisfaction and giving joy to his followers. It's like comprehensive. But he's also like, I think speaking, like communicating like the humanness of all these situations of the reality of, you know, the things of this world aren't going to satisfy you. Yeah. You know, if you're chasing, you know, uh, um, you know, things that you're going to gain the whole world, but forfeit yourself, like everything in the world, money, desires, hopes, dreams, all those kind of things, like they're not as good as Jesus. And he's like constantly telling us, I feel like in different ways in the gospel of Luke, like how we can be satisfied in God apart from money, apart from, comfort yeah. you know so yeah, I yeah think do we do we believe that do we believe that exactly Jesus is yeah actually better that what he has to offer is better mm-hmm. i know we may believe it's right yeah or even like you know far off we know like yeah spiritually it's better to believe in jesus and stuff but yeah when does the rubber meet the road do we actually believe that in the day-to-day you know yeah absolutely so jesus is is speaking here he's he prefaced this by speaking of his own death and resurrection and he does that again in chapter 9, verse 43. So he again says this to them, but they don't understand it. Mm. Again, we saw that theme in Mark pretty clearly of them not getting what he's <laughs> saying. But the same thing is, is said here as well. And then in verse 51 of chapter 9, it says, When the days drew, drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he begins that no. turning point in mm-hmm. the sense of the direction of the book. So everything has been chapters 1 and 2, kind of global scale. And then in chapters, you know, three to nine, it's been about Galilee. Mm-hmm. And now he's journeying toward Jerusalem mm-hmm. until the end of chapter 19. So yeah. he's, that's, that's the movement now. So he's heading there and he, he sets his face to Jerusalem because he knows what it's going to cost him. He knows what he has to accomplish. Yeah. But again, as he's going, he's teaching people about the, the need to follow him with their entire life. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing because as we know the end of the story, like, I don't know if we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this again, but the cost of following Jesus, it's the same cost that Jesus pays himself, right? Yeah. 
And so it's a, he's showing us what needs to be done. He's not just telling us to do something. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That, that is an important aspect of Jesus' death. We always emphasize, of course, what's central, what's his justification, mm-hmm. that Jesus dies as a substitutionary sacrifice. He's mm-hmm. punished on our behalf so that we can receive his righteousness. Right. All those things are so central. But that, that doesn't negate the reality of the example of Jesus, mm-hmm. that he is showing us through his humiliating birth. Yeah. through his obedient life, through his sacrificial death, how we should also live our lives. Right, yeah. That we, that we should model ourselves on him. Right. So we don't diminish that at all. Yeah. Um, and he, and he, again, he focuses on that in chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you want to follow me, you've got to be homeless. Okay. Um, well, I don't own a home. There you go. Check. Yeah. Check. Okay, cool. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's again. He's saying, pointing to the sacrifice, right? That he has nothing, and so he's challenging this claim of, of radical discipleship. Yeah, I've heard. Um, you know, I think people, you know, take passages like this a little too far. Like Shane Claiborne won't have a house, and like will make all his own clothes. You know, and like, yeah, Shane Claiborne. He's, he's an interesting one. He's a very interesting one. Yeah, yeah, I love I love when people are super like literal about something like this, mm-hmm. which almost everyone in history has understood. Like he's giving a metaphor, he's speaking to a greater truth, right? Not saying like you have to be homeless, but then the same people will like not take literal like I don't know, virgin birth or <laughs> or you men know, and women's roles and or Genesis <laughs> or you know Genesis. half the Old Testament, you know, <laughs> which is very funny to me. Like like that you t- try to make a big thing out of one thing in scripture when clearly, I mean, there's yeah. plenty of people who have homes and have, you know, money and stuff. So, yep. Anyway, that's a different, different yep. topic. Great. great tangent. Off top, not, not written in here. Okay. Great tangent. Yep. But then he goes on, next person says, he says the next person in verse 59, follow me. But the response is, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yep. So hate your dead parents. Um, yeah maybe there's you know different opinions on this right maybe he's he's delaying maybe he's saying my dad is nearing his death I'm gonna inherit you know and then I can bury my dad right so but the but the emphasis is clearly do not delay in following Jesus right right Uh, don't you know remember the cost first but then don't delay and then the last thing would be don't look back don't change your mind Mm -hmm. so this is that good farming advice oh it's so good Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, for, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mm. So don't delay. Don't look back. Don't turn back to, to old things. Come and follow Jesus with everything. Yeah. So these are, by, and by the very nature, they kind of rattle us. They're a little bit offensive. Like, can't bury your parents. You can't say bye to people. Like, what? This is crazy. But that's, Jesus is making a point here. I think he's making just like, obviously he's speaking just straight up truth and reality, but like, I think it's also a very caring thing that Jesus is doing right here. He's, yep. he's telling us that it is a, the, the cost of following me is high. Like you're going to sacrifice. But I think he's also like, he'll allude to us later. Like the cost for not following Jesus is much higher. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like, it's practical, like loving advice to the people that he's around. And for us today, like you might be delaying, like believing in Jesus for a number of reasons, uh, but the cost of following Jesus is nothing compared to the cost of eternity in hell. Yeah, and so we need to be reminded of that, you know, often and 
and turn to Jesus. Amen. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. In chapter 10, we see Jesus sending out the 72. Ah, yes. Or the 70. Um, different. This is one of those places where there's a textual variant, right? So is it 70, is it 72? Now, I think this is really fascinating because the same challenge is present in Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations. Ah, okay. Um, so the table of nations, it's that kind of the long genealogy. Right. Um, with a lot of different, you know, you got like Nimrod and stuff in there. It's like right before Abraham and all that. Where does Babylon and Assyria come from? Things like that. So yeah, yeah, right before Abraham. And so you have there a table of 70 or 72 nations, depending upon, you know, which version you have. Interesting. Um, So so there's also confusion there as well, but it may be this kind of reflecting that same, same reality. So he's sending out 70 is kind of a picture of him going to the Gentiles, going to the, to the world. Yeah. Um, that's, that's possible that that's in view. Um, there's a lot more we could say about that, but just kind of as a little tidbit there, but he sends these, these ahead of him. So he gets them into pairs, sends them ahead to prepare the work for them. And, and Luke 10 too is just a great, very encouraging verse. He says to them, this is his motivational speech. This is his pep talk, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, you thought, you thought I was going to say something. I thought I was going to be a pep talk, pep talk, and he's going to be like, you got to die or something. But <laughs> this is actually a great pep talk. <laughs> the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Mm-hmm. So the harvest, clearly what he means in context is those who are going to come into the kingdom, right? right? The work to be done, the, the field, the, the harvest to be had is those souls coming into the kingdom. And he's saying, there's tons of... There's tons of people that are going to receive Jesus. There's tons of people ready to respond. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the laborers are few. Mm. And how often do we view the opposite? Right. Yeah. Because, oh, there's there's plenty of churches in Santa Cruz. There's plenty of churches wherever, you know. The problem is that there's not enough people who want to receive this. And look, you know, the, the soil is hard. It's impossible. Yeah. I think it's kind of implied. Our culture, for sure. Yeah, definitely here. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the attitude from a lot of people who are Christians. And I've been guilty of it, too. But that's not what Jesus says. He says the issue is not having enough people built up for ministry. Right. So that's why we have to focus on developing people for the work of ministry. Yeah. Um, that's that's so important. And that's what he's doing here. He's actually Jesus had perfection in his ministry. Everything he just said and did was perfect. And now he's getting a, a bunch of people who are who are new to ministry because he's only been doing this for you know at best a couple of years. Yeah. And you know new to belief in Jesus. <laughs> yes. Like a, t- a two-year-old Christian, we'd be like, no, don't, you know, like set up chairs or something, you know, like don't be going out and preaching. But Jesus is taking newer converts and people that are new as, in terms of being disciples and he's sending them out. Should to this the be a ministry. normative use of the church resources today? Sending people out to, to preach the gospel in very, very quickly. Very quickly? Um, not necessarily, but I think, I think, you know, we see later like elders should be someone that are established, not a new convert, all of that. So we have that wisdom. But in terms of going to preach the gospel, yeah, any yeah, anyone is exactly. confident to do that. And so I think that Jesus, Jesus shows us that he's willing to entrust his perfect ministry to imperfect people. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. So yeah. if, if you're a minister, right, if you have an area of ministry and you can do it so well, maybe God is calling you to, to invite other people into that and to give them part of the ministry so that they can grow, so mm-hmm. they can develop. Yeah. Jesus is ministering not just to people here, but also to the, the ministers, right? The people that are going out and, and, and 
doing this. This is training for them. Very cool. So he says, the, har- the laborers are a few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we have to be praying for God to raise up new people who can go into the field. And here's the good part of the pep talk. Yeah, he says, go your way. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's <laughs> encouraging. So you're vulnerable, and there are people trying to hurt you. So he's honest. He sets a, a good vision, but he's also honest with them about the risk they're taking. Mm-hmm. This is going to be difficult and dangerous, but he, he gives them a strategy as well. So verse 3, he says, go your way. Be, uh, sorry, I read that already. Verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Mm. So this is, this is uh, someone called this um, sort of a planned dependency. Um, you're, you're a strategic Right, dependency on the mission field. So you're going out without the things that you need so that you will depend upon people in the mission field mm. to give you what you need. Right. I mean, it helps you to build relationships. You For sure. You're, you're in a position yeah. of needing someone else. No, you're not on an island anymore. No. And don't greet anyone. He's not saying he's not saying don't say hi to anyone. He's he, Greetings back then were very long and elaborate and all this. So he's saying don't spend all this time on the journey, wasting time, get to your location mm-hmm. and do ministry there. And uh, and not only that, but he says, whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if a son is pe- son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So what he's saying is, give your go and stay with people, right? And and wish peace upon that house. And of course, they're them as representatives of Jesus. They had a special ability to to bring peace to people's households. But he says, you want to look for a person of peace, right? a person that, this is a very familiar term in, in missiology, right? Someone who is a welcoming person in that community who can be that bridge to others mm-hmm. and stay with them, invest in them, right? He says, verse seven, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. There's that quote that's also in First Timothy. Do not go from house to house. So stay in a deep, deep relationship with certain people, right? So invest in relationship. And also he says later, d- don't argue about whatever's given to you, right? Mm. Um, so don't, don't, don't worry about what's given to you. In other words, if you're going into an area where they might, you know, Bacon. they might be offended if you don't eat them. But yeah, th- that, that's also a, one interpretation is that he's going to Samaritan areas. So he's saying, just eat what's given to you. Don't worry about cleanliness laws. That's possible. But it could also be, you know, don't turn your nose of anything given to you. Right. Receive hospitality. Which is still taught in, I feel like, cultural yeah. missions work today. Yeah, yeah. So. Be, be receptive to that. So, um, and, he's, and of course, do, do works of ministry, right? Verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So do works of mercy and also proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Hmm. And then there's a message of judgment if people don't accept that. It'll be it'll be worse for them, right? It'll be it'll be uh, worse for them for Sodom than than Sodom on the day of judgment. Right. So there's a there's a harsh message. So there's a strategy here. Jesus is very intentional, and it's helpful for us as well to think of how we do ministry. Hmm. That there is a it is good sometimes to be dependent on others, um, to to depend on the mission field, and to show that you're not just coming to be a benefactor to them, but also that you need what they can give you, that mm-hmm. they can provide your ministry and invest in your ministry. Right. Um, so there's a lot of fascinating things here about how we do ministry and how we develop leaders, I think. No, for sure. I think just there's a lot, even practical wisdom for people that aren't doing vocational ministry, you know, like how good is it a thing of a church member to depend on other church members? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, and that you don't need 
you don't need anything to be a minister of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, he's literally telling them to give away things before they go. And, <laughs> and I think for us, we say, well, when I reach this point, when I am established in this way, I can start to minister to others. Yeah. But if they could do it, we, we are called by God also to do it. Right. And then when they come back, they're rejoicing in the power they have. You know, they're in verse 17, right? They say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Ultimate your name. Power. Wow, this is awesome. Like, we're winning. And Jesus' reminder is so good in verse 20. <laughs> he says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hmm. Good reminder, good focus. Whatever we accomplish in ministry, whatever good things we can point to, the, the real security we have and the gift we have is that our names are written in heaven. We belong to Jesus right. and we have eternal security. Yep. Amen. Praise God for that. That never changes. You may, you may fail miserably in ministry, but, uh, but that doesn't change. Praise <laughs> God. <laughs> um, the parable of the good Samaritan in chapter 10, this is also unique to, to Luke. <clears throat> and um, I don't really get, I don't want to get into it in a lot of detail. It's very familiar. You know, obviously it's a, a story of, um, you know, a man, who going to Jerusalem, um, or go, yeah, sorry, you're going to Jericho from Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which was a very treacherous journey through the uh, you know desert region, very lots of hills. It's you know miles and miles of journey, and he gets wrecked. He's, he's robbed. Yeah, he gets yeah. wrecked. Um, and uh, you see a few people approach, right? A priest and a Levite first, and they don't want to go near. They don't want to go near to help. So the people who are the picture of righteousness in that day, they don't want to go near to help someone. But a Samaritan comes along and he gives, or he, he, he binds up the wounds, he pours on oil and wine, he brings him to an inn, he pays a down payment for his care. Mm-hmm. And the question is, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Mm. So the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus is saying, uh, who are you going to be a neighbor to, right? You're called to, to be a neighbor mm-hmm. um, to everyone, to care for everyone. So this is unique. It's unique in the sense that the Samaritan is the hero. Right. That is a very shocking thing that, again, I think we're just so used to, you know, oh, be a good Samaritan. Like, good and Samaritan were not <laughs> words used together by the Jews. Right. So that's part of the shock of this is this is someone who should not have cared yeah, they did. Today, it's like would be be a good Palestinian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so there, he's showing again that focus on the Gentiles right. and how shocking this love Jesus has for the Gentiles mm. would would have been at that time. Crazy. Um, let's see. So let's let's skip ahead a little bit. Again, a lot of this is familiar from other gospels. So I want to kind of yeah, it's familiar. It's good, but we got to get to the good. Yeah, we got to get to the things that are most kind of unique about um, about Luke. I love, you know, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born, we see the heavenly hosts mm-hmm. praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, so Jesus Christmas. comes to bring... Christmas vibes right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus comes to bring peace on earth. Yep. And then in chapter 12, he says, <laughs> chapter 12, 51, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? Yes. And of course the answer Preach. is... Well, yeah. That's literally what we were told in chapter two. And Revelation. And and we're told here, no, I tell you, but rather division. What? What is going on here? Uh, again, we're seeing the nature of Jesus' call to us. What that call is. So did Jesus come to peace on earth? Well, yes, he did. Um, 
And we see that sense in terms of the cosmic scope of his ministry, that he comes to bring peace primarily between God and man by fixing the gulf between us, by forgiving our sins, by giving us his righteousness. But also, um, Jesus comes to bring ultimate peace between men to bring shalom to bring to bring fulfillment to what the world should be, mm-hmm. but in the short term, what right. Jesus is bringing is division. Right. So he says in this passage, twelve fifty two. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three, and they'll be divided in terms of the family. Right. Yes. Yeah, Fathers son. against son, and so in other words, the message of Jesus and the cost of discipleship means that you will be at odds with people. That you love, that the fact that you're following Jesus will offend people, upset people, will aggravate relationships. That's a natural part of following Jesus. Yeah. And so, again, good reminder for us <laughs> that we should expect this and we should be ready to follow Jesus when the time comes and not to appease people that demand certain things of us, right. even if they're the ones we love the most. Right. We follow Jesus first and foremost for an, our entire life. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's that's such a good reminder. It's not it's not that believing in Jesus means you don't have any people that you're close with and you're not close to any family, yeah. but it does like speak to the reality of the division of this world. Yeah. People are gonna hate God, people are gonna love God. Absolutely. So absolutely. That's part of the challenge of following Jesus. So let's look a little bit with the time we have left at chapter fourteen. And this this parable of the wedding feast. Um, in, the, in the great banquet in chapter 14. He, he's, you know, he, he notices in chapter 14 that people were choosing the places of honor at feast. They wanted to be at the head table. They wanted to be the cool yeah. cats, whatever. Um, and he challenges that, right? He says, don't put yourself at the place of honor. Right. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, if you're giving a banquet, verse 12, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's, that's a party right there. That's, that's my idea of a party. The mute should be in there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is great. Good reminder for when you are, when you're doing something, right? When you're, I mean, obviously it's like, can we never invite our friends to a party? Again, I don't think that's the point he's trying to make so much as he's saying, when you have something to give, give it to somebody who cannot repay you. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't don't just have the mindset of giving as I want to give so I can get something in return. Right? If I butter this person up or um, you know, this might lead to them doing X, Y, or Z for me. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not the heart of true giving. Right. He's saying, do it, give it to those who cannot repay you. And I love when we do ministry as a church where we are giving to the needy and there's no way they could ever repay us doing mm-hmm. a missions trip, something like that. That's what we're supposed to do. Right. And then he has this parable that he lays out where he says a man, verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and, and he goes out and invites all of his friends. Right. But verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a terrible excuse. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I know why you have to see your field, right. especially after you bought it. When, I guess that's kind of how we, we buy houses today. <laughs> Everyone's just buying like, yeah, I'll buy it, full price. <laughs> it could be terrible, I'll just buy it. <laughs> um, but it seems like a terrible excuse. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. 
in verse 20. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. That sounds that sounds like an accurate excuse, actually, verse 20 there. Yeah, exactly. The wife <laughs> said, I cannot hang out with the boys. I'm trapped. <laughs> My wife is not that way, just for the for the record. But I, I, know, some, I know some guys. Yeah. <laughs> Keith has no comment. Um, but there are excuses, right? Excuses as to why they can't come to the banquet. And the banquet here, of course, is a picture of the final banquet. It's a banquet of salvation. Yeah. And so what's their response? Well, the, the master of the house says to the servant, go out and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. That's the same Those message two. she's been hitting on. It's yeah. the things of the world are drawing your heart away from relationship with God. The yeah. outcasts. Yeah, and in this case, those who couldn't come into the temple as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. He's saying to my feast, I'm going to yeah. bring the the outcasts in, and I'm going to compel people to come in. Mm. And those who were invited who did not respond will be rejected. So the outcasts are accepted. The those who were first invited are rejected. Yeah. And then he ends with this great call to discipleship once again, right? Of count the cost. Don't build something. Don't start something unless you can finish it. Yeah. And so it reminds us, brings us full circle in terms of this theme for yeah. this section. Amen. Count the cost. Yeah. Cost of discipleship is great, but yeah, Jesus is worth it. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got for this week. We'll see you next week for the next part of the Gospel of Luke.